If it goes right, it's a slice. If it goes left, it's a hook. If it goes straight, it's a miracle. This is Out of Bounds. If it's happening in the world of golf, we're talking about it. Coverage, debate, discussion, pro golf and local golf. Let's do it. This is Out of Bounds. And here are your hosts, Nate Sharman and Josh Derso. All right, it's time for another episode of the Outbounds Podcast. Josh Durso and Nate Sharman here breaking down an underappreciated week in professional golf. Of course, the big news of the week was Brian Harmon getting his first major victory at 36 years old. Uh, we have plenty of other golf news, including some good news about another lefty. Uh, but Nate, how was your weekend? You were uh, at a wedding. Yeah, I was at a wedding outside of Philadelphia, so I uh, didn't get to really watch the golf too much. Did watch a little bit of it from the hotel room and uh, was following along on my phone a lot too, with it being in the morning, a little bit easier for us to watch there. But what a, what a weekend from Ryan Harmon. Wow. Uh, goes and gets that victory, right? He was better than by anybody by a mile, right? So uh, we can talk a lot about how Brian Harmon waggles a little bit here and there, but he was better than anybody in the field. That really is all there is to it. Um, Brian Harmon, very deserving. And he's now an open championship winner, a champion golfer of the year. Did it, did that bother you at all? Bothered me watching it because it seemed like the um, it, the broadcast crew was paying a little more attention to the pace of play by Harmon, despite the conditions, even though we see slow play week in and week out. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm a little bit sensitized to it at this point, Josh. I think, you know, is <laughs> he slow? I, I don't know. I don't know if he's exactly slow. He definitely takes a little while to hit it for sure. But it seems like almost every guy out there, there's a, there's a few out there that don't, you know, Brooks comes to mind immediately, right? For that. Of course. For not doing anything like that. So, so I, I think it's, it's okay. Right. Because, you know, he, he's was learned to not hit the ball until you're ready to go. Right. That's something that we've, we've been taught a lot as golfers. So I think I'm okay with it. it it's definitely something you should point out. Right. And he, it didn't look like it impacted, you know, the final group or the, on Saturday or Sunday them being put on the clock or anything like that or any big gaps in the golf course. So I think it's fine as long as he's not holding up play, which I don't think he was. Uh, the Open Championship, they're long, long rounds in general at that tournament. You know, what they choose to do is put everyone off the first tee and just kind of go like that. So they're playing five-hour rounds no matter how slow you are. So I, I think that that's more of a problem for everybody and not just specific to Brian Harmon, but it's definitely something that you notice when you watch him because I think they had a waggle counter on him once and he, and he think he did it at 13 times. He waggled and looked at the hole before he hit it. So it's definitely something to point out. Yeah, I, I think it also kind of pointed to the, I don't want to say like the the boredom that some people saw with this, and we'll talk more about this um, in, a, in a little bit here, but you know, he wins by six. So let's get into it. Brian Harmon is your champion golfer of the year. He laps the field winning by six at Royal Liverpool. Tom Kim, Sepp Straka, Jason Day, John Rahm finished runner up at seven under par. Um, lots of talk about how far he doesn't hit the golf ball. Uh, but now he's your open champion. Uh, he's sixth in the FedEx Cup points, 10th in the world. You know, looking at this, kind of doing a, a bit of an autopsy on this event after the fact, hindsight's twenty twenty. but, you know, this year he's number one in putting from six feet, second in scrambling and second in bogey avoidance. I mean, that's pretty much how he won, right? Like anybody who watched this tournament sees exactly like that was what he did. That was how he won at Royal Liverpool. And I think yeah. that's what the history books will remember. No one's going to remember how slow he was. Nobody's going to remember the waggles. Maybe they'll remember the waggles, 
um, because the broadcast paid a little bit more attention to it. But, you know, I, I think this is just not a household name, but a guy who went out and and played his game and won. I think he made six bogeys, Josh, six or seven, I think. And then, and I think four times after he made bogey, immediately made birdie. So that's, you know, something that if, even though you're going to make a couple bogeys in an open championship or any major for that matter, oh, yeah. but it's how you come back from them. And, and Brian Harmon was able to kind of channel that too. It looked like on Sunday, I think he was two over on his own ball through about four holes. And it looks like there was a little bit of door opening for a guy like Cameron Young or John Rahm to make a run at him. Eventually, first of all, he, he made a couple birdies in a row and got it back to even par about, about the turn. And plus, no one really made a run at him, too. He was just so far ahead that it was really challenging to make that run at him. So um, kudos to Brian Harmon for being able to, you know, rep a short Kings out there, right? As I was saying all weekend, uh, you know, at standing tall at 5'7", you know, lefty, too. So definitely a little bit of a different open championship open champion, which is, which is cool too. Uh, the British fans weren't big fans of him, you know, being an American from, from the South too. Uh, it almost felt like a little bit of them were trying to, especially in the broadcast too, we're trying to hack some a little bit, right. And try to get them to not win, but he, he kind of uh, was able to kind of push through that. It was cool after the event, Josh, I don't know if you saw this, but Brian Harmon had a really cool quote where they, someone, they, someone asked him about, you know, the atmosphere, right. With the fans cheering for the, for the British players and against the Americans, which is something you see year in and year out. And he said it helped him. You know, his one fan yelled at him and heckled him and said, you know, you're not going to be able to finish this. You're not going to be able to go through this. And he said he was able to kind of compartmentalize that and, and really push through. So awesome to Brian Harmon, you know, as an American watching that, pretty cool to see an American go over and win that event. Yeah. And I would also kind of add to that as well, that maybe that's part of what has me feeling a little perturbed by how this whole thing was presented because it did feel a bit like the broadcast was contributing. Like, obviously he was not the fan favorite um, clearly over in Europe. Why would he be uh, any American, but for the broadcast to feel like they were contributing a little bit to that uh, root against mentality, it feels weird for golf because golf is like, and I saw this a couple times on Twitter, golf's like the only sport where you don't really see outward rooting against anyone. So when we see it and when we see it in one of the sport's biggest events and most historic, it, it it's either off-putting or it feels odd. And, it, and that's kind of where I was with that, especially on Sunday. He was clinical. I think he had, what, one bogey all day, and he followed that bogey up with uh, one or two birdies. You know, he was clinical in his performance, and I feel like if – you know, it were Tommy Fleetwood who was doing that or John Rahm who was doing that. It would have been celebrate, celebrate, celebrate all the way down, all the way through the back nine. And instead we got a lot of, well, when are the wheels going to fall off? Or when are they going to fall off? You know, I, you know. Another you know, hometown kid and Tommy Fleetwood, he's, he's from not too far away from Royal Liverpool, right? And then you have Rory McIlroy, who was a fan favorite over in Europe too, so... You know, just with those two guys, you know, being around, you know, Tommy Fleetwood really played kind of rough on the weekend. He played a really good Thursday round. But um, that the kind of I think the, the broadcast and everything really feeds off the crowd. Right, Josh? Yep. And I think, you know, like I said, how those two guys are hometown favorites, it really plays a factor in it. So I don't know if I necessarily blame the broadcasters, but it was definitely something to point out, too, because they definitely didn't want the American to win. Yeah. And another another point to this as well, um, while I think there were. Some golf fans or just people watching who uh, expected or thought he might falter coming down the stretch. 
I kind of looked at it the opposite. You know, this is a guy who I think, according to the stats, has had like the most top 10 since 2017 or something ridiculous like that. Um, he is one experienced SOB when it comes to playing in all <laughs> events, all PGA Tour events, period. So, you know, not really a surprise that he was able to hold it together, stay steady and and get the win. Um, if you're Zach Johnson, captain of the U.S. men's Ryder Cup team, how are you looking at your selection process now? Like this weekend clearly changed some things. Changed some things big time. You know, it, it's really compelling to look at too. Just looking at the auto qualifier. So we have a few more weeks, right? We have about, I think we have four tournaments before those auto, auto qualifiers are set. Yep. So um, I, I think this is really interesting because we, we thought we had our kind of six in stone. We did not think Brian Harmon would win the open championship. But with that open championship, Brian Harmon thrusts himself into the, into the Ryder Cup. He's not someone was I was talking to somebody and, you know, like, will Brian Harmon get on the Ryder Cup team, you know, as as a captain's pick? Will Zach Johnson bring him? No, Ryder Cup, he's Brian. John, Brian Harmon is going to be an all, probably going to be an auto qualifier. He's sitting in the fourth spot right now with yeah. a few weeks left. So you have Scheffler, Scheffler, Brian Harmon, Wyndham Clark, uh, Patrick Cantlay, Brooks Kepka, and Xander Shoffley. Uh, with Brian Harmon jumping in, that kicks out Max Homa. And so you have like guys like Homa, uh, J- JT's looking out, who we'll, who we'll talk about a little bit more, but uh, JT's really having a tough year. You know, you have guys like Tony Finau looking out, Keegan Bradley, who's won multiple times this season on tour. And it's just going to be really interesting for Zach Johnson because, you know, you have two more non-elevated events before the playoffs with the 3M Open coming up here in the Wyndham Championship next week. It's going to be really interesting to see if Justin Thomas plays well because he's sitting right now you know, on the outside looking in for the playoffs and the outside looking in, in my opinion, for the Ryder Cup. And this is Justin Thomas, a guy who is very storied player in the U.S. history, has a really good record at the Ryder Cup and has a really good team camaraderie to him. So it's going to be really, really interesting uh, to see if he gets on the Ryder Cup team. That's what everyone's going to be talking about. Do you think Zach Johnson takes Dustin Johnson or Zach Johnson takes Justin Thomas right now to uh, do Italy this coming up? No, I mean, I I made a TikTok about it over the weekend. Look, I I think that the the this pretty much shut the door, right? Because we're running out of um at large picks and I know I know Harmon on paper now is an auto qualifier, but he still has that air of like a a captain's pick because you can't not bring a guy like Max Homa, right? Like you right. can't not bring a guy like Cam Young. You can't not bring a guy like Keegan Bradley or Ricky Fowler. They've they've won this year. They've played consistent right. golf all year. So now like looking at like the top 12, you know, you're kind of left with a, do you take a, a Colin Morikawa or do you take a Justin Thomas? Or do you like maybe take Sam Burns? You know, Jordan Spieth is another guy. He's well inside the top 12. You can't not take him. Oh, Jordan so, Spieth's on the team. Right. So like there just aren't that many. This to me, I think before we might have had three. I think I kind of calculated around like three spots that were open for kind of like anybody picks. Now we're down to two because of this. And I just don't see a scenario where Justin Thomas, unless he wins, like he's literally, I, you know, he's barely in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Out, as of today, he's out. Is he's he out now? Yeah, see, there you go. So that's, to me, like a huge, like he's basically got two weeks now. He's got two weeks to do something. And short of winning, you know, I think even if he finished T2, T3 in back-to-back events, I don't think that's enough. Yeah, he's probably going to win. Yeah, I think he's got to win something. 
since last year's PGA Championship. So I think he he definitely does need to get a win. And and if I think if he does get a win, Josh, talk, and I I said the word compelling that this is this becomes another adjective for compelling, right? If he if he does able oh, yeah. to win one of these events, he's you know he's in the field this week at, in Minnesota. So I, I would be wow, that would be just a, an insane kind of position for for Zach Johnson if Justin Thomas does get the win. I would love to see it though because it would be it would be fun to watch uh, and see who he picks. Yeah, and also just as a as a quick note here. Um, talking about Ryder Cup, Sepp Straka, man, he is, I, I know he's not on paper an automatic qualifier, but this guy is an automatic qualifier. Let's just call him he that because that's what he is. Golfer. Absolute golfer. He yeah, he's he's going to be a fun guy to watch because he'll be around for a little while too. One of those European guys you're going to you know hate playing against, right? You know, when you think about that, you think about guys like Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter have been guys for that European team that have been, you know, tough to watch against. I think Sepp's going to fall into that category because he's got some game. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> kind of compare him to a Wyndham Clark, honestly. I feel like they have similar styles, mash the yeah, ball no a million miles, sure. and then just kind of like get around. It's it's interesting. Um, so let's talk a little bit about our bets. Uh, it looks like at first glance, you fared better than me. You go first. How did you uh how did you do? Last week, obviously, leading up to the open, you and I dropped our bets, our picks uh on Tuesday and Wednesday, which is what we'll be doing every week here now. Um, what were yours and and how what were the some of the notable ones, I guess, for you? So I end up losing three, winning two, which is something you don't you look at and it's not good. But if you kind of take a deeper dive into it, it's a little bit better. You know, I lost on my two outrights with with uh, Kapka and Scheffler. Yeah. Outright bets and golf are, are challenging to hit. I have oh, been yeah. able to hit a few of them this year, which has been fun. But I also lost on Chris Kirk, top 40. He played really bad on Thursday, kind of played himself out of out of the cut. But what I did win was, was um, Victor Hovland, top 20. I knew that was going to happen. He plays well in every single major. That was plus money, plus 110. And then my make the cut parlay got through with Fitzpatrick, Hatton, and... Um, it's Patrick Hatton and Homa to get through the cut and make the cut at the British Open too. It really was looking really good. It was like not really a sweat at all, that parlay. And then Terrell Hatton made a nine on 18 to make the cut on the number. And then uh, Fitzpatrick had a little tough troubles in the bunker on 17 on Friday. So it wasn't supposed to be a sweat at all. It was supposed to be really easy. It wasn't looking like going in on Friday morning, but they made it hard on me with that internal out of bounds on the right on 18. So uh, plus 130 gets home and a plus 110 gets home, two and three on the uh, week for the bets at the open championship. I'll take it. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll uh, keep moving forward here as uh, we got a couple winners. Pretty happy about that. Yeah. I, I went two for six on my picks. Uh, ben on finishing at T23. I had him for uh top 40 finish was kind of like the uh, silver lining of my picks. Of course, Rory, I had him in top 10. Uh, he finished in the top 10 doing Rory things, but yeah, Ben on was the kind of like the, the gold standard for me. That was a pick that I I felt really good about looking at the way he had played the week before. And here we are. And I'm celebrating that as my as my big win for this past week because Cam Smith to win, uh Scheffler to finish top five, which felt like automatic money, didn't pan out. Um Cantley again to finish top 20. That didn't really work out. So Ben on. That's the one that I'm really like happy with after all this that's stuff. That's almost missed the cut. That would have been crazy. He made birdie on 18 to, yeah. to make the cut on the number. And this is the first time, and I think 
I don't know how many events, 12 events that he's not in the top 10 or something like something stupid like that. So he didn't seem to strike the ball bad and he hit the ball. Well, it's something we've talked about a million times, right? His putting just was, was suspect for him, which is so weird. We just keep talking about putting for Scotty and how it's going to eventually figure itself out, but it still hasn't, but he's still the best ball striker on tour. I would say as he's continued to do that, he played well on Sunday. I think he shot 400 on there to get himself a little bit better and better position. But still, not having Scotty in, you know, in contention in this in an event in a big high profile event like this was a little bit strange. He was kind of a victim of the bad draws too on Friday afternoon. It was windy. It was a little bit rainy too. So he had to really kind of struggle through those conditions. Brian Harmon was able to uh, lay down a nice sixty five on Friday morning. Not a lot of wind out there. Put out yeah. four birdies and a closing eagle for a six under round too. So pretty impressive stuff. But it's so important to get that you know that right draw, especially in Europe, because if you get it on the golf course with the wrong time with some of those twenty mile an hour winds, it makes getting around that track very difficult. Yep, no doubt about that. Uh, I believe that stat because I saw it a couple of days ago as well. The last time Scotty Scheffler finished outside the top 12 was week eight of the 2022-2023 college football season. So basically it goes back to last fall. That's a streak that's been going that's been going for Scotty closed in on a year on that one. Uh we'll see how he how he plays here heading into the playoffs. Uh opposite field event, the Barracuda Championship at Tahoe Mountain Club. Uh Akshay Batia uh gets his first win on tour. Uh, big win for Akshay, of course, young guy, busy on social media, um, a lefty. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? He beats out Patrick Rogers there in that Stableford event. Well, they for lefties, right? Brian Harmon gets the the Open Championship victory and Akshay Batia gets his first win in the PGA Tour. But it, it's just a really cool event to Barracuda every year, right? With a lot of the top players, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but a lot of top players over the pond playing in the Open Championship and, and last week in the Scottish Open too. It makes so much, um, you know, valuable for these guys to play in these events, right? Because they don't have to play against these top players, right? That that are going around on the PGA Tour. Able to kind of play a little bit different event with it being Stableford and, and Lake Tahoe, which is really cool because the Stableford event is, is something that's really funny because... You know, you're not really thinking about it being stable for it. And you go look after the first day and 17 overs leading the, leading the tournament. Right. So which is something that's kind of interesting and, and something that's pretty it's, it's easy to understand once you kind of look into it. But always a different scoring event, I think, is cool and something that's kind of fun for golf fans, too, because stable for it is, is, a, is a great event because you you can make it. You make a double bogey and you, you if you keep hitting it, you just pick it up because you can't you can't lose any more points after a double bogey. There's no yep. difference if you make a double or a triple or a quad. So I think it's kind of something fun for, for golfers to play. You know, that American Century Championship that Steph Curry won, that's also Sableford. So if you're having a tough day, you can just pick it up and move to the next tee box and not have to really crush your your score that day. So I think that's why Stableford is really cool. And it's something that, you know, amateur players can play, I think, too. It would be a lot of fun. So uh, definitely look into the Stableford event, too. And as, as it's on the PGA Tour, it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and I I just think... One, this is great to have uh, actually get a win. He's one of the tour's big young stars. Um, but the other part of that is what you just keyed in on. These non-stroke play events, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think the tour needs to lean more into these because they're more interesting. They're more compelling. They offer something different that isn't just your plain Jane boring stroke play stroke play is exciting for us right like we, we as like hardcore golf fans love it 
but your more casual viewers is much easier to understand in the same way that a three-pointer in basketball is worth three points, uh, that a birdie is worth two points. And it, it kind of correlates better with other sports. So I think it makes golf more watchable for the casual fan. So I think that's huge. Yeah. Difference is always good too. You know, that's something we've talked about before, but just changing <laughs> it up and, and not doing it. And like you said, not having the same stroke play event every week where we see, you know, 40 plus times on the PGA tour, just having to kind of use your brain to understand something a little bit different. I think is fun for golf fans. So uh, keep doing the Barracuda championship. I know Monday Q on Twitter loves it too. So I love following it through him. Yeah. And uh, this weekend we've got the three M open uh, coming to TPC twin cities, the biggest names, uh, in the second to last regular season event, right? We've got one more after this week, and then we get into uh, the playoffs, the Wyndham next week. Tony Finau, Cam Young, Sung J.M., Hideki Matsuyama, Justin Thomas, JT, desperately needing a win, Sepp Straka, uh, and then, of course, Ludwig Aberg, uh, one of the up-and-coming European players as well. So perhaps some jockeying uh, this week uh, for Ryder Cup position on both Team USA and Team Europe. Yeah, it's it's more compelling to me is the, the race for the Ryder Cup and the race for the playoffs are, are more compelling than the actual tournament itself this week for me. Because if you look a look at the playoffs, they're a little bit different this year. Top 70 gets into that first event at the St. Jude coming up here in a few weeks. And if you look at the top 70 and you look at the bubble, there's so many important players, right? JT, we talked about it. He's sitting at 75. I think Adam Scott's sitting at like around 80. And there's a few players that fill in that area too. So if you need to get you need to get into that top 70, it's not like before where you got into that 125, you get into the first event. No, you need to get in the top 70 and play well too. So because it goes from 70 to 50 to 30, you know, it, it drops, you know, in the next three weeks. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see where Justin Thomas finishes. I think a lot of eyes are going to be on him during his Thursday round in Minnesota this week to see kind of where he figures himself out. Um, it's been a it's been a, a rough road for Justin Thomas shooting 82 on Thursday at uh, the Open Championship. So we'll see what happens to two really fun races with the Ryder Cup and the playoff schedule uh, coming up here in the next few weeks. Absolutely. And a week that just one of the things that kind of caught my eye at first glance was just a, a week for, I think it wouldn't be too much of a surprise to me if a guy like Hideki or Sanjay won this week. Um, you know, two guys who are very, very good golfers, top 20, top 30 golfers in the world. Um, who we haven't heard or seen a lot from so far this year, at least this calendar year. I could right. see one of the two of them going out winning this, and all of a sudden we're having yet another conversation about just how uh, deep uh, that top 10, top 15, top 20 is. Uh, that, though, is going to do it for this edition of Out of Bounds. We'll have our picks uh, probably up later today and then tomorrow uh, for this upcoming event. Watch for those on TikTok and YouTube before the three MTs off. Subscribe to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. And of course, if you're out there playing, you know the drill. Whether it's down the middle or out of bounds, keep on swinging. You've been listening to Out of Bounds. If it's coverage, debate, or discussion of pro and local golf, we'll be talking about it. Be sure to visit the website at FingerLakes1.com. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Out of Bounds FL1. See you next time on Out of Bounds. Out of Bounds.